This episode is brought to you in part by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that perseveres. Check out Unshakable Moxie, growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit unshakablemoxie.com. This is Sandra McCracken, and this is the Steadfast Podcast, Season 2. This year I've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about the idea of patience. My new album is called Patient Kingdom, and as an exercise on this topic, I made a list of friends in my life who have taught me about patience. Right at the top of the list, Jay and Catherine Wolf have just been so impacting on me and on so many others. They are writers and speakers and storytellers, and they engage with their whole hearts. So thanks for tuning in for this episode today. So you all have been, have you been home more? Like, what has the season been like for you this year? Just the change in rhythms and some of the improvisations you've had to make for pandemic and just like camp and all these different things. Have you been home a lot this year, more than usual? Oh, for sure. Well, the 2020 started with gearing up for book release on February 10th. So the Mm -hmm. first almost six weeks of 2020 was just a ton of various engagements Mm -hmm. and just a lot of fundraising for camp and just as you know having been the musical guest at our I know it feels like a million years ago it does it feels like because of the timing it was right before everything shut down and I was able to be with you in Atlanta and it was like such a special night Sandra added um just incredible uh just gravitas to the to the event for our new kind of atlanta community it was really the first time we love a good party you know we love a good celebration of life and and Mm -hmm. sort of whatever is happening in the season and uh for for that uh season the beginning of 2020 really was suffer strong this book that had really is the culmination of what we i think have learned the lessons that we've learned in mm-hmm. struggling and finding strength and what the Lord's done through our pain and really codifying that into this book. And, um, and so it was really a momentous um, offering for us. And we couldn't mm-hmm. think of a better person to sort of be the soundtrack to sort of that uh, birthday party, so to speak, mm-hmm. for the book and, and its launch than, than Sandra. So gosh, yeah. that was so sweet. We'll never forget that. Thanks for Wow. I mean, getting to sing a duet with you, Catherine, on Fool's Gold was just like, that is permanently embedded in my heart just to where every time I sing that song, that is part of that song now. I mean, it's, it's, and that's one of the, one of the amazing things about the way music and story and Mm. relationship all fold together is that it really does. It's like, it encapsulates what it is to be connected and, and to have shared stories, even when our particular circumstances might look different. Like what are the, you know, what are the particulars of what you're going through or what you just went through or what you're about to go through? Those things might be different, but the shared part is like, it was just really bound up in the song that night. And to get to sing that together was just 
yeah, it was something I will never forget. Uh, <laughs> really- uh, yeah, likewise, I, I very distinctly remember you saying that when I requested to open the night <laughs> with Bulls Gold, you knew for sure that I wasn't a seven on the Enneagram. <laughs> and I treasured that because I felt so known by you because oh. everyone thinks I'm a seven when they meet oh. me. And I'm not. I'm a three. I don't love my number, but I'm a three. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I have a lot of, um, yeah, just a lot of sadness is too strong of a word. Just I, I'm more complex than just a really super, um, yeah, whatever. To all the sevens listening to this, you're awesome too. So this is not that I don't want to be your number. Yeah, I appreciate someone who recognizes that. I would have a need to open our Suffer Strong book party with a song that says, if it's not okay, it's not the end. Mm. Mm. What a like yeah. foreshadowing too. That was yeah. Whoa. That, well, and, and actually the mm. first the six weeks before, well, really the first, what, two and a half months before like an extreme mm. lockdown of the world, pretty much mm-hmm. um, sharing a message of suffering strong was very poetic to then have the world kind of shut down and suffer greatly for for our friends who might be listening like if you haven't heard of the enneagram or don't know a lot about the numbers what's i think what i would reflect on hearing you say that it catherine is just like the typically you have you could you could have somebody that's like a high achiever right you're like a high achiever and sometimes that personality wants to avoid sorrow and suffering. And I think what you have demonstrated, both of you and the way you collaborate together and the way you walk around in the world is that there can be like to pour your energy into lament actually brings this joy out the other side. So there's this paradox, right? Where lament can like, how do you do, how do you do real hope? That's not just like false optimism. Like it's not just, we're going to put a smile on it and not, and pretend like this is not going on. It's like fully embracing the reality of what is. And like you're saying, the sadness when there's sadness, honoring it and also not dwelling in it or just letting it you know, take over your life. And I I think that's like, it's like, that's where you've put all of your, your, you know, three Enneagram energy (laughs) is to to sort of honor the sorrow and the lament and say, yes, and this is not the end of the story. Right. Right. Absolutely. I see that in so, so many families from our camp in the summer Mm -hmm. that you, Sandra, know intimately while having been for years that Mm -hmm. There is a very large gathering of people who are putting their energy, regardless of their Enneagram numbers, mm-hmm. to recognizing that just bittersweet, complicated journey through life and mm-hmm. choosing joy um, in the midst of deep suffering and terrible mm-hmm. sadness. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I was going to say that story of camp has been so influential in sort of undergirding that ongoing duality of holding hope and Mm -hmm. sorrow, you know, of holding Mm -hmm. uh, the good hard life together. And it's not that that's a tension that, um, you know, it's challenging and it's some in certain seasons feels confounding where one, you know, counterbalances the other. Right. But I think you can't fully experience the depth of the good life unless you have acknowledged how hard it was to get Mm -hmm. there. 
And, you know, you certainly kind of hit different facets of that when you hear other stories and uh, find sort of that same through line in totally different circumstances than your own. And in so doing, you know, you get this deeper resolve to keep persevering through it, to keep holding on to both of those and, uh, you know, honoring that journey, this side of heaven, that that is what it's going to look like. And will we try to reject it or long for something else or will we try to be fully alive to the possibilities of it right in front of us? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being with you all at Hope Heals Camp, there's an immersive experience of that, like living right in that, right beside each other. Right. And there's an acknowledgement of here's where we are. Here are the, here are the gifts, here are the limitations. And, you know, the, the paradox between hope and sorrow is there's something in it, I think that propels us toward the heart of God. Like that's, that's where he moves toward us most most intimately right it's like and i don't know why that's the way i think it's okay I, hopefully that's like theologically okay to ask that i don't know what, like why right. is it this way you know and and even seeing like jesus crying out to the father like before he goes to the cross saying like if there is another way could you please <laughs> like mm-hmm. let this pass and i think it, mm-hmm. it i think it honors our questions and yeah in those times. And I, and when we've been together, especially at camp, when you have all these different stories of families that are experiencing God's presence in their lives in like sometimes really both really intimate ways and also like really with big question marks. And it reminds yeah. me a lot of the Psalms, you know, it's For like, sure. t- tell us a little bit about like, tell tell me and some of this I, I've heard, but um like the spark and the beginning of Hope Heals Camp, like how did that come to be what it is? Well, it's, it's really a, a cool story because um, that was never what we sought out to do or be yeah. about, honestly. I definitely did not want to fully, Im- I mean, I was, I was perfectly able-bodied, completely, quote-unquote, healthy prior to having a massive stroke at 26 years old and nearly dying and becoming severely disabled. Mm. So for the first 26 years of life, disability was not a part of my story at all, nor Mm. did I have a bunch of interest in reaching the community of people Mm. with disabilities or families with disabilities. Mm. I just didn't know much about that world. It definitely didn't seek out opportunities Mm. to minister within it. And then slowly, after having the stroke and speaking more and more about it, and then eventually actually Jane and I speaking at a camp for families where someone is disabled through Johnny and Friends, who you may know of Johnny. She is an incredible woman, Johnny Erickson Tata. And she has camps around the nation for families who someone suffering from a disability so mm-hmm. we were the speakers at this camp so you know we're the we're the keynotes and yet in being that we could not not see that we could have been the campers that we were actually the i was the mm-hmm. one in the wheelchair talking mm-hmm. to the people in the wheelchair and the caregivers that were with them, Jay and I both speaking to them. So we kind of realized mm-hmm. in that moment 
this is very weird that we are actually, <laughs> I mean, these are our peers. Mm. And yeah. something I think shifted even then to realize we had a unique voice to speak into this community mm. Um, mm. that would listen to us in a different way. Well, it's interesting too, because mm. I think even after the stroke, I mean, it feels very natural now that we would have this advocacy role and even this sort of be this story that sort of represents a lot of that community, which is the largest minority population in the world are people with disabilities and also the largest unchurched people group. And yeah, you know, it's not something you hear about much, even in the context of the church. And I think after the stroke, there was always this sort of sense early on, oh, well, you'll get out of the chair. You know, you'll go back to how it used to be, like you'll recover your abilities. And that was even sort of the um, sentiment perpetuated by people of faith in our life. And, you know, I've had visions of you, Catherine, you know, walking again, dancing, you know, very, very specific and clear sort of um, this picture of Catherine as she was before everything changed. And so it, it took us, I think, a really long time to sort of say, but what if maybe that vision is something further in the future or whatever? And it, and is it okay to not long for her to get out of the wheelchair, but actually to find some level of contentment and even joy in the wheelchair? And mm-hmm. in so doing, like start to see an uh, uh, hence uh, previously invisible population mm-hmm. in a totally new way. And I think that whole question about how does it have, you know, uh, you know, God, why does it have to be this avenue of suffering or kind of being made low to be brought high or whatever. And I think in this, in the confines of this world, that is part of the human experience and condition, right? And it, it doesn't just bring mm-hmm. us to God, but it brings us to each other. And I think mm-hmm. in our, in our pain, we find this depth of and intimacy of relationship, maybe more than anything else. You know, when the whole C.S. Lewis idea of like, you know, when you, when you sort of hear in somebody else's story, your own, you say me, you know, me too. Like uh, mm-hmm. that is probably even deeper when it is this story of shared struggle and pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause so often we feel just so alone in our suffering and, and like nobody can understand it, you know, or it's not a big enough deal that anybody would even care or something. So we just feel so isolated when ironically it's what we're all living out, you know, in our own, mm-hmm. in our own version. And, um, so yeah, people with disabilities never, you know, never saw that coming. A hundred, I don't know. I'm trying to say for a hundred years. What am I saying? I never saw it coming in a million years. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say, and it yeah. was something that has just changed our life forever. And it's been one of the great joys and also great healing parts of this new chapter of our life and story is, is sort of finding this these new this new tribe. Absolutely, it's yeah, hearing you say a couple of those things. I've not heard before. Thinking about that the people with disabilities that, that this is the largest majority population and the largest unchurched people group that is that is something to just like take in and to think about how also how often we try to just like push us push people aside we don't know i mean even just the unchurched part like I don't know if our facilities are set up, you know, right. in ways that are yeah. hospitable. That's like one huge barrier. And then this year, as a lot of people have, like globally, as we've experienced more isolation than ever as a, you know, as a world, we have a little taste of what some of the isolation of feeling or being invisible because of some of these limitations, like physical or other kind of limitations. And, there's an opportunity. There's like a, an opportunity for us to wake up to 
compassion in a way because okay we we have not been seeing things for <laughs> what they mm -hmm. are and right. we've not been seeing each other really as peers regardless of these limitations you know absolutely no i think that's the huge possibility of coming out of 2020 is this new way of seeing and i think you know it still remains to be seen whether that is where we will end up and you know again mm -hmm. maybe it's not so important in the global way of seeing but it is an individual yeah um, you know, onus on how do we, like, how do I want to see the world and myself in it and God in it differently? You know, a lot of what's, I think, kind of played out is that the divides have gotten deeper and the, mm -hmm. you know, sure. socioeconomic realities have, have spun us even further apart. Right. And yeah, I still think the possibility of finally something breaking open, like our hearts, mm -hmm. if nothing else, just breaking open, having gone through a, an unusual experience like this year, and then letting that be the the thing that propels us into these other hard stories of people who've been dealing with isolation and uh, mm -hmm. the world not being made for them and fear of the unknown and unemployment right. and whatever, like, could we start to see with empathy, just the world around us, you know, without so much yeah. fear of our own self-preservation or scarcity of our own resource, could we just start seeing how interconnected mm -hmm. and interdependent we are on each other. And I mean, you know, having a global pandemic is a great wake up call how, how connected we are as a, as a human yes. species, you know, and so what do we do with that? And can we keep that in the forefront as we enter into even harder, mm. more divisive times to say we're just humans trying to find God in each other? And can we give each other the grace to, to walk together along that really hard but good path? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard you share uh, the image of like, well, Catherine, you've talked about this, that just that phrase, the invisible wheelchair, like that, right. there's, that there is something more the same than, than you would initially see or imagine right. about us. Yes, we, we all have different stuff. We all have different yeah. sufferings, both internal and external. I've got the wheelchair on the outside of my body, but I have loads of issues internally. Invisible wheelchairs resonates with just about everybody on earth because everybody's got stuff they're dealing with and probably stuff that nobody else even knows about that's inside mm -hmm. of them. And, you know, from the shame that we all feel or the, the issues we all have from things that have happened to us or that we've done or, mm -hmm. you know, from regrets to just really being hurt and messed up by other people in the world and, you know, just all the, the mental issues we all have, if we're honest, and emotional mm -hmm. issues going on mm -hmm. inside of us that, that also require wheelchairs. I say that we would all really like a T-shirt that says, <laughs> I'm fragile, <laughs> treat me with care. You know, mm -hmm. I, I could be in a wheelchair right now. You just don't yeah. see that. And yeah. I think that's the truth. We all need them. And I think we all have the this opportunity to see those wheelchairs not as a source of shame, you know, or a source of confinement. You know, we, we're trying to help people understand, like, bound to a wheelchair or confined to a wheelchair is not the best way to mm -hmm. speak about a, a person with disabilities in this day and age. Because what that implies is that, you know, the, it's sort of a, a prison or you're, you're bound to something without freedom. And the reality is, and you wouldn't really think about this unless you've actually used a wheelchair, but because of Catherine's stroke and the removal of half of her cerebellum and a bunch of damage in her brain in order to save her life, her, her walking is really challenging. Her you know, coordination of her muscles is really, is really impaired. 
So the wheelchair is the actual medium, not of her confinement, but of her freedom to be in the world. It's the, it's the actual device that helps her travel the country and speak and, you know, go with her kids to the park on her own. And it's what, what's just powerful to me about the metaphor is that it, it universalized this sense of limitation and mm-hmm. all of the specificities that we all carry in our story about how we're limited. But then it, it turns it on its head to say, and yet maybe even more so through those limitations, we have this opportunity for freedom. Mm-hmm. And maybe we never saw that as an avenue for freedom. Maybe we thought it was the end of our story or our confinement or something we were bound to. But what if that is, that's the very avenue that we could flip the mm-hmm. script on our life and um, find yeah. a new way to be in the world through it, you know, not just in spite of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it does seem that gospel transformation happens in those, like you're saying, like when you, you look back and you see, well, this thing that was extremely painful for me back there is actually something that God is using in a way I would have never known to ask for, both for my good and his glory. And it's not... I think that's something you have to be careful, like how you talk about just with, just with great sensitivity and honor for people's stories and for where people are. Mm -hmm. But I could, I guess I would just give testimony that personally, like as I look Mm -hmm. back, if I can prayerfully bring the most painful times in my life before God, even now, as I'm, you know, maybe sometimes years later, there's still opportunities for, like growth from that because I look back and I'm like, Oh man, God was doing something in the darkness of that, that I had no idea would be so beautiful now, yeah. you know, and, and we only see glimpses of it. So we're, we're not, I mean, things are still broken, you know, like there, mm-hmm. there are still aspects of that, that, and then when I think about that, I just think, well, Jesus still has scars in his glorified body. Like, so he yeah. still has holes, like nail piercings and scars in his side and on his hands. And there's a, there is something in that, that we, maybe we don't understand it, but it is more beautiful than we even know how to characterize beauty. Right. Mm. And so, so if we don't find that to be beautiful, maybe we should, like, we could just like pause and sit with it (laughs) until it starts to become something beautiful that we didn't know, you know, could be. And that's a good, and that's a good clarifying point, I think, because I think one of the most harmful things we do as believers to each other is to slap, we say Jesus band-aids on bullet wounds, you know, and sort of, hey, let me just shove a scripture in real quick so we can like be cool and we can move on and stop having to grieve right now and pretending everything is horrible. Um, And reality is, you know, the call to to grieving well together and lamenting together saying, gosh, I can't, I just can't believe this happened to you. I'm so sorry. And not even trying to make it right. You know, yeah. that's, we just have such a, an opportunity, I think, as mm-hmm. the church too, to just learn how to grieve better together. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that whole idea of the invisible wheelchair too is, I mean, you know, we were trying to pray Catherine out of her disabilities for years after her stroke, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, it was only this sort of revelation over time with, the reality of other people we met in similar mm-hmm. stories that sort of offered that possibility and learning just like, wait, when we think about God limiting mm-hmm. himself to human mm-hmm. body incarnationally, that must mean like that maybe my limitations, there's wow. some sort of dignity to them. <laughs> like they're not like, it's not the worst. Okay. This isn't the way yeah. it's supposed to be, or this isn't the plan, but like God limited himself 
So maybe there's something in my limits that I don't have to be so ashamed of. And then maybe um, because the ultimate Mm -hmm. limitation is death, right? In in humanity, uh, Mm -hmm. since Jesus overcame that, maybe I don't have to be so afraid of the end of this story of limitation. (laughs) Like maybe there's something on the other side of this that really, like I can can open my hands a little bit from Mm -hmm. all of the unknowns and all of the fears because Jesus has already paved this way forward. And I don't get it fully. And it doesn't, again, that's, that's cold comfort in plenty of seasons because right. it's like, great, like uh, a yeah. cool upended life. Like I don't want this. And yet truly like the whole idea of an upended life has given us this view of the upside down kingdom of God, you know, in a way we never really could have seen before. And uh, so, you know, you're 12 years in, we like, you know, truly wouldn't give it back. And that's really a pretty miraculous statement to make. Again, that doesn't mean that's not with tears and wounds and scars and and fears, but it's a new way of being in the world that we wouldn't want to change what we've seen and how we now see the future of our story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like the, the, well, when you were talking, I was thinking about that verse and, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, when he says, like, Jesus humbled himself, became, like, submitted himself to death, uh-huh. and death uh-huh. in this, like, shameful way, like on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the uh-huh. highest name overall. And so, and then when we, when we think about what it is to be, like, bound up with him, and there's, and then those verses about baptism, like, you know, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, there's this sense of, uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't know all that's going on in that mystery, but there, but the idea that God limits himself sort of takes us with him, you know, and then raises us up and takes us with him that, that all of that is at play as we try to like make sense of what's happening in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's hope. It's really hope. I think yeah, that's hope. so such a fuzzy idea, you know, yeah. in some, in some regards and such a sort of a diluted mm-hmm. idea that really, you know, we, when you have had this experience of, of a transcendent hopefulness, you sort of get it, but it, it, it doesn't come without this possibility of despair, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then when you see through the power of God's spirit and story, this vision of, of some future reality that empowers you to live differently in the present, mm-hmm. that's how you know that you, you found some hope and experienced something that, you know, the world didn't give you so it can't take it away from you either you know and i think that's what we're sort of all fumbling towards Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's brighter than others for Mm -hmm. sure but and that's why and how we keep getting up in the morning you know getting out of bed to a day that is pretty unknown and could go a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but we've seen yeah we've just seen the hope of christ absolutely propel us forward so many times it keeps us going yeah This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, 
health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. When you look back over this year, and so if so, the first few weeks of the year, first six weeks, right, when you were planning for the release of this book, Suffer Strong, which is <laughs> such a beautiful uh-huh. offering, and then all of a sudden, like everything, uh, the everybody hits the brakes because, and this was not anything we could have predicted. How, when you look back, kind of characterizing this year, that release of the book, what are the, some of the places that have surprised you in a, in a really positive way about, about the way people have received it or the timing or almost the, you know, just the, yeah. What do you think about how, when you look back over this year, how have you experienced the release of this book in, in the overlay of the pandemic? Absolutely. The, the release of this book right before the pandemic and just now being in the weeds mm-hmm. of the pandemic still, it's not really like we're on the other That's side true. of it yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has, has been really, yeah, super complex. I mean, so wonderful in a way to have a resource to talk about suffering mm-hmm. and to have it be so relatable now, you know, in a different way than perhaps in February 2020, by the end of March 2020, more of the cultural lexicon and conversation Mm -hmm. was about suffering to some degree, whether people knew people who were getting sick and dying or losing their job and in very difficult financial positions Mm -hmm. or just the struggle of having to, you know, have your children be home all the time and do virtual school, whatever. There was just much more a sense of um, hardship being a part of all of our stories, even in America in 2020. (laughs) And that just seemed like we were sort of the ones who were, almost um, post-suffering because we want to pretend we don't have suffering Mm. in our stories rather than seeing it front and center of all of our stories. Mm. So in a way, it's it's been great for business. (laughs) 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 It's almost laughable. Well, no, I think (laughs) it's funny because you would think it had been more so really. I mean, like, oh, like, you know, everybody's struggling and wants some sort of, uh, I don't know, guide or help in the midst of it. But I think a lot of people, just like the stages of grief, you know, want to just deny it for a long time. Right. And and so it's it's been funny to feel like, wow, we have um, not an answer, but something that is more universal than you would think. And now we have an experience that has been universal in terms of our struggle right. globally. And, and I think the two will intersect more at some point. And maybe it'll just be one of those sort of, I don't know, evergreen resources or slow burn or whatever. I think for us included, I, you know, yeah. halfway through quarantine, whatever, it's like, yeah, I want to just watch something dumb and yes, funny. I right. don't, don't want to read some book about resilience right now yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it, the world is too heavy. I need mm-hmm. something like, so people have sort of found it, I think, as, a, as they've needed mm-hmm. it. And as their sort of grief has led them to that. 
yeah, you know, that's seeking it out. And I hope it will continue to, even in 2021, maybe when some of the dust even settles yeah. more and a lot yeah. of questions yeah. remain, uh, people may be more ready. I mean, no doubt. I think it will for years to come actually. And you, you know, when you are walking with somebody and they've just experienced like a tragedy <laughs> or something, you're not going to hand them like a, a super <laughs> right. heavy book right in the moment. But I think that there's right. something anointed about the fact that, okay, so one of the quotes from the book, we are all disabled. None of us have unlimited access to whatever we want or whatever we planned for our lives to look like. So that's coming out is actually embodied in a year when not only are you saying, Hey, I need, I need you to wake up to this because this is our reality, but we are all in this and nobody is, is exempt from being touched by this reality. And it's like a little, it's like, I do think you're right. I think it's like, I don't know if you'd call it a slow burn, but I would say this, this is a book I will continue to hand people for many years. And it is not just in one year or in one cycle of a book and a, you know, on the bestsellers list. It is something that I think because it speaks truth so profoundly and prophetically that it had, it holds that space that doesn't have a timestamp. And so Thank you for writing it and for, honestly, just for your faithfulness to show up to the work and to collaborate with each other and with the community around you. It was so evident when I was there with you for the release night in Atlanta in February, just how this is not some, it is not a contrived like media campaign. What you all are doing is so profoundly human and it is so familial. Like it is, it is family that is all gathered around saying this we're holding you up. We're we're lowering your mat. You're lowering our mat. Like we <laughs> we are all kind of crowded oh, yeah, in this room yeah. with Jesus. And I just think that's like for anybody who's sitting and listening and and part of this conversation with us. I think that is like what a joy to be in the room with ultimately like God's Jesus who says like come on in. You know, I'm like I'm the healer. And I'm not finished yet. And I'm inviting you all to sit in this for longer than you might want to. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and, that, right. and I'm not yeah. going anywhere. You know? But you don't sit alone. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for the mm-hmm. affirmation, Sandra. Oh, we, uh, we received that too from a fellow. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we call ourselves an artist. We call you an artist. I don't you know are what artists, we call ourselves. For we sure. Through us. But you know, I think what, if nothing else, we, you know, we've tried to just give our whole heart to whatever it is we feel God's called us Mm -hmm. into in that next season or uh, offering or whatever, because we've experienced that real brevity possibility of life, Mm -hmm. you know, and the real fragile nature of it. And and then when we're in this sort of second chance life, so to speak, second Mm -hmm. chance family and marriage, like that doesn't, you know, mean it's all just like Mm we, we've, you know, have this seamless sort of celebration of every annoyance and hardship or whatever. It just means like we don't want to waste it, you know? And so we really try to lean in with our whole heart to it. That sort of dichotomy of leaning into that tension of of bringing your whole heart Mm -hmm. to the moment, even when you've already had your heart sort of broken by the reality of the world, still showing up fully to whatever is next, um, but also doing it very open handedly. And that's really hard for us because we're both, Catherine mentioned three Enneagram. I'm an eight Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I'm a lawyer by training. I'm a, you know, challenger, caregiver and an advocate and yeah. And and, and probably unhealth it goes, you know, to the challenging side as Catherine will attest to, but um, (laughs) you know that we, we want to take what we've been given and really 
steward it well. Yeah. And, you know, well, but then when things don't sort of work out as you thought or whatever, then you, you, you put a lot of weight on that. And then you get to relearn the lesson again of, of opening up your hands. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, by, by your gifting, you are a fighter. So you are going to fight against injustices mm-hmm. in places where it's not as it should be. And mm-hmm. you are committed to that. And then, and then we come up against the limitations where God is calling us back to, you know, his authority over us. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh man, I mean, I get it. I mean, do you, I mean, I feel the same way. I, sometimes I come up against those limitations. This week has been one and whether it's, some small things with, with related to the inconveniences of our life right now, you know, like technology or just irritability with the people all under the same roof together. stuff. Like it's, it feels like, man, I can't get to the thing that I really want to be doing right now. And, mm-hmm. and in those moments, it's like, okay, but that, that faithful pressing on and submitting back to God in it is, it's really hard, you know, and as much as we talk, like you mentioned that about lament and sorrow and being able to sit in it. I mean, honestly, like on a personal level, even though I can write songs about it and I can show up for that and talk about that with other people, it is still really hard. You know, if I have the baby crying, I don't like for him to cry, you know, and I want anything to make that stop. And that's kind of how it is. It's like, can you just be still if he's crying and let him cry for a minute? Cause he's okay. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> So anyway, completely. Yeah, I'm yes. kind of talking in circles, but I think just to affirm, like you, you have that fight. Both of you have have that that energy toward the good, and I think it's just been good that our paths have crossed the way they have. And I think about even just dropping into life together at, it was probably the first camp, right. That I, Sarah Groves told me about the camp and I ended up like here in Alabama with you guys. And it was like one of the sweetest experiences and the most immersive experience I've ever had up to, you know, to that point was like, okay, I don't know if I have the right sound system stuff working, but it honestly doesn't matter because we're here to sing together and we're here to worship and let's do this. For sure. You know, yeah. and by the end of the week, it was like we we were barefoot sitting together, singing, crying, praying, reading scripture. And I think that's what we do in the meantime, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget so many snapshots in my head of you with the Cheek family giving a private concert mm-hmm. to... Those sweet twins, yeah. which oh, sad to say that one yeah. one of those sweet little girls passed away last summer mm-hmm. um, while we were at camp. I'm sure one of the memories mm-hmm. that her parents just cherish mm-hmm. is that private concert where they couldn't even sit up, but they laid on the blankets and you sang over them. Yeah, yeah, it it is. And I've had these touch points with Morgan in the last few years. And even at that time when we were there together, when one of the girls had a fever, she was on antibiotics, they came to camp and I had the opportunity to just like sit with the family and pray for a few minutes in their room. And and it was like, I think what was unbelievable to me is how I was ministered to by their faith in the midst of suffering. It was like palpable in the room and it continued to be as these touch points, even through some of the worst of the suffering when I was able to intersect with them and I would see it and I would just think like, there's no other explanation for the strength that I see in them other than that they are being upheld by the Lord and that that's what they're relying on completely. Like we sort of have other props. There were no other props, 
you know? And so to have this little video, I have a few video moments of singing with the girls. Like I will cherish that, you know, it's, it is such a, yeah, it really bolsters my heart to know and to walk beside them and with you guys in these in these moments. The talent show at the end of the week also was like another, oh, yeah. just like such a sweet celebration of hearing and seeing people come forward with the gifts that God has given them and to give voice to and joy and laughter and just like to be able to share what God's put on. It's so good. And I think it's worth noting, like me as a firstborn and probably more cynical, whatever, I don't know. In the idea of a talent show with people with disabilities seemed just like cringy and oh my gosh, we can't do that. It's going to be so awkward. You know, originally, like when we were thinking, like, what do we want elements we want at camp? And like, you know, we even have a dance party at the end. And there were some things literally put on the table, like, can we, is this even right? Is this the tone? Is this going to set up people for, you know, awkwardness or distraction (laughs) or embarrassment or whatever? And I was just, I was so proven wrong. Not to say, I didn't didn't have this opinion, we should totally not do it, but it's just interesting that that's become one of the most powerful touch Mm -hmm. points. And again, maybe even the idea, as you you mentioned, like if we're united with Christ, we have, we we can go through sort of the possibility of shame and come out on the other side of it Mm -hmm. with with a different kind of joy and a different sort of way that we experience our, our humanity, even mm-hmm. if it looks really different than we thought it would look. And I don't know, it's sort of embodied in that. Also, the, the idea like the body of Christ, we have so many gifts that sometimes are not being fully experienced by the rest of the body. And like that we, as the church, should always be cognizant of making a space for that at our table, at our in our community to say, hey, you've been given something unique in the world mm-hmm. and yeah. we're missing out on something if we don't get to experience it. And if we don't get to give you a standing ovation for who God is in your life, you know, and that's sort of the wild uh, talent show is just, you know, everybody gets their standing ovation at the end. And it's really, it's just spine tangling. Oh, it is. Did you guys ever hear, there's, um, there was an interview with Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist on, on being a few years ago. And he talks about performing in terms of hospitality and this, he -hmm. says like, while I'm on stage, you guys are my guests because that's sort of the arrangement we have here. And he said, (laughs) he said like, while you're my guest, if something happens on stage i think of julia child oh the chicken's fallen on the floor oh well pick it up and put it right back and you know what everybody's with you and i think there's this this sense of like when we don't take ourselves so seriously and Mm -hmm. we show up then that's what he said he's basically he's saying it is not about proving anything it's about sharing something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and doing it together Mm -hmm. with the hospitality that's so yeah that's such a good shift especially like i said for people who are hard on themselves like us or people who want to you know just want even want to steward something mm-hmm. precious it can quickly devolve into sort of this performance trap or this perfectionistic thing yeah. or this kind of manipulating to try to make something that is even a good thing mm-hmm. but rather to say wow like if i if i can just accept sort of the messiness of all of this maybe there's something even better yeah that I could have ever sort of constructed. And man, that's freeing for those of us who really are type A kind of, yeah. kind of people in the world. But yeah, the, nothing, nothing <laughs> sort of demonstrates that better than sort of a community of people like camp. And there's a lot of other options, mm-hmm. a lot of other expressions of that where, you know, it's just enough to be there. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, there was no other pretense other than, wow, we're here together. Yeah. And it's pretty miraculous that we got here. Yeah. 
It's so good. I'm so glad to have time with you guys today. And it is always such a delight because I just feel such a kindred spirit and um, the ability to share and to affirm and to say yes, you know, yes to the, yes to what we are doing here. And you guys ha- just keep showing up in in ways that I'm sure is difficult. And and James just turned 13, right? This is amazing. So like just entering into like this next stage. And um, I feel like with both of our oldest being Rhodes is 13 as well. And it's just like entering into this next new stage. And I just love, I love you guys. And so glad to be. Oh my gosh. Beside you. You and speaking of that, when Roach turned 13 a couple months <laughs> yeah. ago, and James made that little video. Oh my gosh, it was, I, it was so precious. So hard. When James says, hey man, you probably got one that but I was your best friend at camp. <laughs> and I was like, two years ago. why would he not remember from two years ago that you were best friend? It was just so like a teenage boy moment. Like, you probably don't even remember me. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, it was so, so good. Yeah, here we go, teenage years. I couldn't yeah, believe it. Man. I mean, he was so, he's so articulate. And so, I mean, what a generous response to say, like, I'm not going to assume but I know we'll be the best friends for, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you just right check it. Yeah. Of camp. That's right. Oh, well, we got to get you guys back to camp. I know. Camera. I'm. All, I want to be there. Let's do it. Always got to Always got to see at the table. I want to be um, there. Let's do it. I mean, hearing you on too, man. looking forward to it. And with you guys in Atlanta and just being up the road in Nashville, we'll have to connect next time we come through and hopefully that'll be Absolutely. very soon. You guys, I hope I we're just, keep praying for you and the work you're doing and look forward to more time again soon. Likewise, Likewise, Likewise. Sandra. Gosh, thank you so much. Thank you, friends. Thanks for tuning in today to this episode of the Steadfast Podcast. You can find out more about Hope Heals Camp or Jay and Catherine's books on their website, hopeheals.com. I hope you check out those resources and continue to be encouraged by their work. In addition, my new album, Patient Kingdom, is available now everywhere that you find music. Thanks for tuning in.